0: Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today on the program, we welcome Bo Koash. Bo is an Institutional Portfolio Manager for Fixed Income Strategies at Fidelity Investments. Before joining the Fixed Income team, Bo was Global Head of Syndicate and Primary Trading for Fidelity Investments' Equity Trading Division. Today, Bo speaks to host Pamela Ritchie about the current market landscape and its impact on fixed income, plus where he's seeing opportunities right now. Bo explains to Pamela that the team is very excited about bonds this year after a tough go last year. He says, we finally have yield back in fixed income and U.S. Treasury bonds AAA-rated are looking very attractive. He adds, you only get a few chances to buy treasuries really cheap, so this might be a good time to invest. Bo talks about the latest Fed move, saying it continues to support the Fed's tightening path that doesn't seem to be letting up anytime soon. In terms of the inflation story, Bo and his team think it will take a while to get it lower. For now, the team is taking a conservative position. They are half-weighted in the high-grade corporate bucket. Bo says anywhere you go with a long duration, there's lots of wiggle room. Bo also touches upon real estate and its impact on fixed income, as well as the recent bank takeovers. This podcast was recorded on May 4th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Nice to see you,
1: Beau. How are you?
2: Great to see you again, Pamela. Doing great, thank you.
1: Yeah, very nice to have you join Thanks us here to today. There are so many things that we're going to ask you, but I'm just going to start. You're the bond guy. Should the 60% versus the 40 be in bonds right now?
2: It's. I love that question. Uh, in fact, we, we just wrote a paper called, if you don't like bonds now, maybe you just don't like bonds. Um, we finally have yield back and fixed income, which is great. And you can see most of it's coming from the treasury yield, which is even better. That's AAA, AAA. That also helps people feel a little bit better. As some people think we're heading into a maybe a slightly deeper recession than others, we, we're more in the shallow camp. But even if you think uh, that we're heading into some kind of recession, having that ballast in the AAA, AAA piece in the treasury side, uh, we we love. Owning that hard duration Treasury uh, part of the bond. so we think that's at the at some of the cheapest levels we've seen in the last 20 years uh, since the mid 2000s, uh, 2006, 2007 in that time period, and we we actually have our portfolios now uh, weighted towards owning Treasuries in uh, in that area. So we and we'll talk about that later, but we do like bonds a lot relative to I know a lot of people are still sore about last year a big negative return in bonds, but that's because we started at a one very low yield, but the ag index, which is the big US ag, uh, the big benchmark here in the US, started at about a 1.4% uh, yield, which has no protection in it at all. We were telling clients, don't buy bonds. There's not a lot of returns. At most, you'll get carried, but that's it.
1: So, okay, so that, that is the relative story. You know, often we'll talk just about the spread story, for instance, but but it sounded like it's more of a relative it's, story. It's
2: not, it's not spread. The real story now is we love the duration from the treasury piece because spreads just aren't that attractive. We're not getting paid to take a lot of risk right now in corporate bonds. High-grade corporate bonds started at plus 130 over treasuries the beginning of this year. They went out to 160 at the wides. during in the first banking panic in march and now we're back to we're probably gave some back over the last few days we're probably somewhere in the one love maybe 140 area but we're still tight, much tighter than we were at the at the wides of the bank panic the first bank panic we're in number two right now but we're not that you, you usually look to enter or buy uh investment grade spreads when they get out to 180 to 200 over not 130 140 150. so these are not kind of get excited levels especially um, when we you know we could have some softness in the economy and then for high yield uh we 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 widened only 50 basis points at the worst so we typically like to enter high yield uh not at the 400 handle or fi- you know low 500s but more like a 600 spread so we're nowhere near those levels in high yield
1: so so here we are into the third question of our conversation and uh I haven't I haven't properly asked you about the fed move yesterday are are we is actually the inflation story and fighting inflation, is, is that possibly yesterday's story or put us
2: right? We, there's still two sticky parts of inflation that everyone can acknowledge. We have to acknowledge. Them. Number one is OER, which is owner's equivalent rent, uh, is not yet softening enough. It's a lag data. So if you look at real time indicators like, um, you know, there's like Zillow's got indicators. There's uh all kinds of like real-time indicator for real estate prices they are showing weaker real estate, but the lagged real estate data is not showing that. That's what's showing up in the CPI numbers. So until we start seeing that, and maybe you can make an argument, maybe we should just have a new way of looking at real estate prices or owner's equivalent rent, or maybe we toss out that old uh, calculation and we have a more real-time uh, piece of data. The other piece is this jobs piece where we've got, you know, 3.5, 3.6 unemployment. Yes, we're seeing a pickup in you know firings. You know, I think Morgan Stanley announced 3,000 jobs you know, two days ago. Uh, Lazard, a thousand jobs. So there's there's banks that are coming out because they're seeing less deal flow with with higher rates. There's less M&A. So there's definitely things happening in, on that front. Um, and then across the high tech space, you're seeing a, a softening in, in kind of hiring or at least there's there's some downsizing in the, the big tech real estate, but they don't want to give up too many of their people because they've got this whole AI uh, part of their business. They want to grow. And that's got big total addressable marketplace uh, for future revenues because you think about all these companies and how tough it was. We, we had the last several years just hiring people. If we can get AI to do some of that um, kind of some of that work, uh, that, it's a nice supplement. And I'm not saying AI is going to take over the world at yeah. all. But if we if we can have like this productivity pickup up in, with using AI, then we don't need as much uh, number of workers to, to have good GDP growth.
1: So if just that put sense. yeah it does. So just just put that together to sort of kind of give us your inflation call.
2: Inflation now is, is in and Powell talked about it yesterday. He they're not there's they're saying it they think it's going to take a while to get inflation lower. But again the Fed, the Fed is just difficult to forecast. Like we we think forecasting is, that we call it now casting. We like to, to kind of take what we see today and allocate the portfolio based on what we think the best opportunities are today. Not trying to project where rates are going. That can You can create a lot of holes in your portfolio if you start trying to bet on rate directional. Because well, we've seen. Are. Up-
1: the markets are, are pricing cuts in all over the place.
2: Cuts in all over the place, but then you'll get a you'll you'll see rates come down, then a quick spike when we go when people feel like there's more inflation. Like uh, we're seeing rates the last two days rally. But but if you look at rates through the year, uh, we've had ups and downs all the way through the last, you know, 2023, but we're trending lower in rates. So you're getting that bump, that bumpy ride, but you're coming lower. We've already taken about 60 basis points out of the twos tens inversion. Pretty quietly, people haven't really noticed that we peaked at 107 inversion. We're, we're something around, you know, mid fifties right now. So we've already taken a lot of basis points out of that inverted yield curve. We're still massively inverted at 55, 60, but we're heading in the right direction. I think this last, I think overnight we took out a little, little bit more, but it can happen very fast. And the market typically pivots way ahead of the Fed. So the Fed, we wouldn't call it a pivot yesterday? Yet. But the market's already pivoted. We've already seen, we think, peak 10-year yields, no question. Uh, it's a matter of when the market's going to start taking it uh, that inversion back to flat and then uh, steep it out again. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. So so tell us a little bit from, from your perspective, from the fixed income side of things, I mean, the dominant story in the markets right now uh, on the equity side is is the regional banks, the United States. That is that is the story. What is the dominant bond market story that, that either we're not hearing because that is there's another equity story going on right now? What, what do you think is the dominant bond market story in the market?
2: Well, we uh, your point about the banks and the equities, we talk about the banks also because you've got the money center banks, which are the super big banks like your banking system in Canada. You know, the big RBCs and the TDs and those banks, then you get, that's the that's our version of like JP Morgan, Bank of America. Uh, then we've got the super regionals that are the next level down. You know, there's, there's an argument those should be made SIPPies too, like we have for the or significant, uh, importantly uh, significant uh, institutions. So we make those and protect those, kind of like how you have it up up north. So you've got a protected class of, you know, six strong, really solid banks, you know, that's the, that's kind of the debate now. Should we go that route? And should we have these super regionals kind of in the class and protected before we, before we go down the path of potentially losing some of them, right? So right now it's the smaller banks with very uh, monolithic type customer types. We talked about a little bit earlier with the technology kind of uh, startup mentality or ecosystem banking at these few banks that are having problems now. And once you start getting a little bit of a crack on confidence with this asset liability mismatch, where they've got deposits coming out and they've got this uh, investment portfolio filled with treasuries and mortgages, you know what do you do with that? If they sell it now, they've got big losses and that creates a gap in their uh, balance sheet, which they have to fill with equity. So it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy of, a spiral down for those banks that, that can't really protect themselves. And then because of what happened with Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic, nobody's gonna step in until they get the cheapest asset they can get. Um right. and that's the cycle we're in right now for the banks. And the easiest thing to short in the world, why not take a chance until it stops going down? There's a incentive to keep shorting those stocks. If you're in the business of making money by borrowing and shorting stock, It's 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 probably not a bad uh, time for you because you're taking advantage of a systematic approach within the smaller bank uh, systems.
1: Yeah, not to mention um, a few regulators that must be sweating at watching um, how many. Bank consolidations might be on the horizon here, and um, I mean, it, it you wonder just sort of the capacity if that if is that an issue? Do you think how the
2: capacity for you know we saw this this is this is not the GFC either, so this no. is not the Great Financial Crisis where Bear Stern, JP Morgan was forced to take Bear Stearns. Nobody was I I'm an alum of Lehman Brothers. Nobody was forced to take us. So we feel left out. Uh, I left before the actual bankruptcy, but. Uh, still, it was a painful period for that for that bank um, but there's only so much that the regulators can do um, and so uh, I think that that's the question mark is how much is going to how how much will happen before this behavior stops or what can be done to stop the behavior uh, and right now there there seems to be a construct out there that there's nothing really in the way for some of these things once you start that deposit run to to end it and um, Um, So that's that's why some of these banks are reporting now and having issues in round number two.
1: So, I mean, one thing investors can do and advisors can can help investors do is uh, is is take a look at the safety of bonds. I mean, just bring us back to that. Remind us of some of the positioning that you have right now. Certainly, you mentioned treasuries off the top. Um, But tell us a little bit more about how the tactical side of things, but just more broadly, you're positioned.
2: So we we are pretty conservatively positioned right now Are in our more aggressive strategies we can go up we typically can go up to 40 50% high yield we're down at 25% today uh, we think not because we think we're going into a deep deep recession we're just not we're not getting paid in terms of spread to take the risk that we think you you should be paid in today's marketplace for high yield so we're going to we're waiting for a better opportunity to enter um, we are uh, like half-weighted in our uh, high-grade corporate bucket, and we don't have a lot of long bonds in long credit in that bucket. Again, that's a very volatile part of the market. Anywhere, anytime you go long duration, whether it's treasuries or corporates, that can wiggle a lot. Those are plus or minus, you can have plus or minus 30% uh, annualized based on where uh, rates go, really dominated by rates and interest rate sensitivity. And that's So we've taken that way down since we since we've kind of repaired from the March 2020 COVID shutdown, we got we bought a lot of bonds really cheaply there, and then we have sold them down over the last couple of years to having hardly any long bonds in the portfolio anymore. And that helps us have our risk you know kind of hat on and make sure we're not taking that volatility. We're keeping that volatility low. Uh, so we're keeping that. We, we now have a lot more rate volatility. You pointed out the AAA AAA Treasuries we've got and. Yes, I said that earlier, that's what we like the most. So we've got uh, probably as much as we've ever owned in the portfolio we're, and on a contribution to duration, it's, it's, it's above the uh, index. So we feel like we're pretty well positioned. So we feel really good about that starting yield that can give us nice returns and we can win two ways with that, right? So if rates don't come back down again, if we stay at these high yields, Clients will be really happy. We'll be happy. We just stay at six percent. If we can get this inversion to to go the other way and we steepen, then we can get some performance or some you know total return on the bonds that we that we have on the portfolio, and we can get some capital gains, and that can kick in an extra amount of yield of, of return. So we think we you know if not, if nothing happens, we don't think that there's a case that we go much higher in rates. Um, that would surprise us. But but we could also be, you know, six to 12 months out from this kind of uh, steepening in the yield curve. And then that's going to take that could take a little bit of a time for this employment issue to settle out for the uh, OER, the, the owner's equivalent rent, kind of sticky real estate prices, uh, rent rent uh, issue to calm down a little bit. and then We're starting to see some cracks. Some markets are for sale. Out in the West, there's, there was a really interesting, I think it was a Wall Street Journal article that kind of separated the U.S. And you're probably seeing it, too. Like Toronto's like rock solid. And that's kind of like our New York and the East Coast rock solid. The West Coast is a little softer in terms of real estate. And so I think we're starting to see some cracks, but not not enough to really get that OER down to where it but needs to be.
1: dig into the, uh, the real estate story for us. So the commercial real estate, the office side, I think, you know, unless anyone's been living under a rock, they're, they're pretty aware that that is um, an area of concern. Um, just kind of flesh that out for us. Tell us a bit more from your perspective. We,
2: we've had this rolling crisis this year. So we started with the you know, regional bank. Then we went to Credit Suisse. Then we went to CRE, a lot of focus on CRE because that's where the regional banks have a lot of loans so everyone's now going through their portfolios we we have limited exposure to and the big uh the big property type that's under a lot of fire is pro- is the office property and so office
1: are you have exposure there that's what you
2: So we have very limited exposure to office in our portfolios um yeah you know, it's yeah you know, probably 10% of our uh of our SASB paper uh so which is 3% in the portfolio so 10% of that is 30 bips. Ish, something like that. So very nominal amount of exposure there. We, we tend to favor distribution assets. So like Amazon.com, all the stuff they use for distribution. That's where most of our SASB paper is lab space in like Cambridge, Massachusetts. There's tons of labs there now, office lab type space, fully rented out. All the big pharmaceutical companies around the, around the world are, have have big facilities there Uh, and biotech. Uh, so, uh, apartments are still doing well, obviously, the OER, we just talked about how sticky that has been. There's anecdotes that that's getting a little softer, but NOI, Net Operating Income, is still positive for almost every real estate asset class with the exception of office. Office is the big question mark. So, uh, the, and the, it's not that things aren't leased, but there's nobody in the building. So, the, the next, the leap forward is, will those buildings be released? Once these leases roll off and every year there's a bunch of leases that roll off. So it's like, it's kind of a rolling effect in real estate to see what the issue is going to be. It doesn't happen all at once because they, if you manage your building well, you've got staggered leases. But in the next five years, if nobody wants to go back to the office, there's, a, there's going to be a, a, a office issue. So that's, that's kind of the forward-looking.
1: Thank you. Uh, thank you. No, it, it is fascinating. And, and, and as you say, some of those leases are really long, so it, so it takes time for it to work through the system. A couple of questions here, so let's, let's um, get to them. So what are your views on AT1 bonds, where essentially the bond holder is not at the top of the heap?
2: This is We are right in the middle of the storm, because we, we did own some Credit Suisse AT1s. Now, the good news is, in our portfolios, we also own the Credit Suisse senior bonds, so the rally in the senior bonds that traded towards UBS spreads made up for the losses in the Credit Suisse AT1s. Uh, so that was, a, that, that, was that was a push. That was a push. That was a push. That right. was a push. So that was a. We think that Swiss, the Swiss National Bank, that was a one-off. And it was pretty clear in the papers that they could have done that. So, so in terms of like there was... Bond groups being formed, everything else, we decided not to pursue that uh, and because we understood what the risk was, right? So, but almost every other, and what helped the market come back in Europe uh, was when the Bank of England came out and said, you know, we, we were going to prioritize, prioritize bondholders over equity holders. Not a lot of people saw that, but that's when the market really swung and and right. some of the the other AT1s really rallied because some big jurisdictions were coming out saying, you know, we, these are pretty solid. And, you know, we've done a lot of work up in Canada. We've got, we've got a tremendous analyst that covers the, the, our Canadian banks. And, and, you know, the regulators reached out to hit, to, to us and asked questions of them. And so, so we understand the docs really well. And we didn't just wander into these investments. So it, these investments are all about the docs. They're all about understanding priority, you know, and knowing where you are in the system. And um, we think that this Credit Suisse was kind of, a, or Switzerland is a one-off kind of jurisdiction, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. No, it was fascinating listening to that and sort of wondering the reactions overall. Um, a couple of other questions. So let's go back to the Fed. Um, this question is: Do you see any risk of a technical default on the U.S. Treasuries if the debt ceiling is? not increase sorry this is not this is not the fed um, just taking a look at really the the debt ceiling story
2: so number one we haven't changed a single thing in our portfolios to reflect anything around debt ceiling that's the first thing to know so factually we haven't not, changed anything you're
1: not positioned
2: nothing, for our default nothing in our portfolios so that that's not to say that our money market team is doing something different you know there there is in the front end of the curve there's a bit of a gap between may maturities of this year and june july maturities there's about 100 plus basis points but if you if you lost 100 basis points on a 2 month security that's only worth about 8 to 10 cents right so okay. people are not that excited about the losses of that uh, in terms of but the, the fact and that's not not even a loss you're basically going to get your par at some point it's a matter of when. It could be delayed a little bit, but there's all there's a lot of rules, regs, uh, people thinking about what could happen if there was a, not a technical default, but maybe a delay, right? Delay in payment. So, because uh, there, there's hardly anybody who thinks this is going, that you're not going to get paid back on your treasury maturity. That is a way, way, way in the tail risk. That's not even... Um, you'd be hearing a lot more in the press if people were betting that way. That's not in the bet. So um, I'm going to leave it there because it's it's yeah. really we're not positioning for it. We we are we have a big team who's watching it every day. We're actually doing the calculations every day about money coming in versus what's left in tax proceeds and things like that. But there's there's not much we're not going to position. You know, uber conservatively to, to take advantage of it because we don't think it's going to go that route, and we think it would be a way in the tail event if it did.
1: You you talked a little bit earlier about you know this the areas where there's sticky inflation and kind of broke that down for us. Um, wh- what is the tips market telling you?
2: Tips are not excited about inflation. Two two hundred forty, two fifty, two thirty break evens.
1: Meaning not you, Yeah,
2: not worried. They they think that the inflations are already trading at two and a half at the Fed target. So the TIPS market is not excited about or not expressing any concern about inflation. The market believes that that we're going to come down. We don't own any TIPS in the portfolio. We own TIPS briefly when they hit 100 back in March 2020. We like buying TIPS at much lower levels and betting that that the Fed can get it done eventually and get to their target. But um, right now, the market, the the TIPS market is betting that the, the Fed is going to achieve what they are seeking out to do and get eventually to that two, two, 240, 250 CPI level in, uh, in CPI. So there's nothing to see here in terms of TIPS market.
1: So uh, two final questions. So um, I want to get back to, I think you said, if people don't like bonds, what did you say?
2: If you don't like bonds now, maybe you just don't like bonds. <laughs> That's a catchy Jeff Moore, who a lot of people up there know, of course, Jeff had to come up with that phrase. And it is it is we get great chuckles out of most of our clients that we speak to when we tell them the title of that paper. But the assumption of the paper is is really solid because we were thinking about, you know, our bonds are, are a return to the mean story. And is that enough or should we start putting probabilities on and that's what we ended up doing in this paper. So we ran probabilities. Then we looked at inflation and what could be the path of inflation. And you know, we it could go down quickly. We call that the black slope because you're on a steep slope. It can go down medium, which is the blue slope, or go down green. And I think Jeff would say we're kind of in that green slope. We're coming down, but it's a sticky slope. So we think that we're going to have uh, your really good returns, but it's not going to. We're not going to get those. Uh, yields crashing down because the, it's gonna that inflation is gonna get fixed overnight, and then we're gonna get a rally in in ten year bonds to give you lots of you know capital gains. I think it's a slow process to get down in this inflation piece. So if you if and and I know you all have probably access to this paper. We'll get it out if you have interest in it. Let us know. But it's it's a fun paper. And what we've done it with it is we just looked at three month annualized returns. Uh, We we can only go out as like three months. We're not putting a projection on the returns. We're using probabilities in the work uh, in terms of uh, where we are now, where the starting yield is, and what the all the outcomes that could happen in the marketplace and what the uh, equivalent value return is out of all those scenarios.
1: Are you worried about a particular sector? I know we talked about office, but I mean, is, is it a sector thing within the markets that people should be worried so about i mean i get, or we, is it more yes individual you
2: know it's a fabulous question because you go back to uh covid you can buy anything because nothing was damaged that long to have a problem so everything got burnt at once <laughs> and you can go in and find you can buy almost the whole beta you just buy beta and you want everything was 400 off it went from 100 off 100 spread to 400 spread this is different We've got winners and losers in every sector. We've got winner, we got sectors that are losers and other sectors that are winners. So like REITs in general are cheap, but there's stuff within REITs that are really cheap. That's different than what we saw in COVID um, that period. So this is, I wouldn't say that this is definitely an idiosyncratic bond by bond search for what we think are great opportunities. So when you look at the average spread of corporates at 140, There's some stuff that's at 300, there's other stuff that is a lot tighter than that. And single A industrials are all gonna be, they're non bank they're probably doing okay, they've got a backlog, they've got a great C-suite, they're managing their business really well. They're not just sitting back, letting this happen to them. They've got uh, like, one of the reasons why spreads aren't wider is you got maturity walls and all these uh, these companies, they used to have a lot of commercial paper, a lot of short-term debt, all that stuff is gone now. They only have really, you know, there's probably three-year three year debt or longer. So they're protected for the next three years from rolling any debt or any commercial paper, or anything out the curve. So companies are in pretty good shape, which is why we've seen the market Take this so calmly.
1: Extraordinary how how that's happening. Well, I just want to thank you for joining us, about sharing your time and an amazing uh, deeper dive into the fixed income side of investing. Thank you for joining us, Pamela.
2: Thanks for all the great questions.
1: Yeah, great to have you. All the best. Have a have a good
0: uh, rest of your day.
2: Take care. You too. Bye bye.
0: Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity Mutual Funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.